0: Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigoon campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Dear loving Father, thank you so much that we can come together in your precious Son's name to worship you, to honor you, to glorify you. Jesus you are our saviour and you are our risen Lord you are our King and we thank you for the cross we thank you for the amazing love that was poured out on the cross and the work that you did on the cross for us Holy Spirit we just ask that you will open our hearts to your word this morning Speak to us, we pray. And we pray that those words will fall on the good soil, the fertile soil of our hearts. And whatever we have brought with us this morning, Lord, we just ask, in your grace, may we just leave it at the foot of the cross. And as we depart from this place, may we be lightened, but may we be encouraged by who you are. And Lord, we just ask all of this in the precious Son's name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Good morning to everyone. And thank you for joining us, especially those of you who are new or visiting. Thank you. And uh, also welcome to everyone in, in online we uh, welcome you as well and for those of you who don't know me who's been coming in the last couple of weeks uh, my name is Michael and I am the COVID pastor right I'm the one who missed out on camp yes and I, I really appreciate all of you praying for me but I still have a bit of a remnant of the COVID so I'll give my apology now I'll probably cough and there might be a bit of sniffle, but we'll plow through. All right? And let me take this opportunity just to thank all the leaders. I know that most of them will be here on the second service, but the leaders and the volunteers who made the camp possible and so memorable for our young people. Uh, you did an awesome job. It was fantastic. You honoured God, and I'm sure God was pleased and uh, we know that there are baptisms that will be coming up following the camp. And uh, if you're interested in be- being baptized as well, uh, please do let us know. There'll be a baptism service at Thornley next week when one of the uh, youth from camp will be, will be baptized. Um, it's an amazing thing. It's a great celebration for Thornley as well. But Uh, We are planning one in September, so if you're keen and interested, I know one of the youth has already come and spoke to me about them wanting to be baptized, and if you are in that space as well, and if you're considering, uh, please come and let any of the ministry leaders know. It would be fantastic. I want to also thank you, the worship team. Let us put our hand together for the worship team. Where have you gone? Fantastic. In the morning, uh, leading us, preparing our hearts for today, the AVL team. But also I want to say a special thank you. And they don't get a, a, a lot of mention. The caterer who provides the meal for the, uh, with the worship and the ABL team um, during between services. And uh, they're up early cooking. So thank you so much. And I know Jane, Jane did that this morning. Jane Templeman, where are you? She's around. Oh, there you are, there you go, there you go. There you go, good morning and thank you. All right, so finally we come to our sermon, okay. We continue with our series, Your Kingdom Come. The passage we're about to delve into this morning continues on from last week's miraculous feeding of the 5,000. We're going to look at Mark chapter six today and to put the narrative into context and to understand the actions of Jesus. Let's have a take a, a quick snapshot tour of chapter six of Mark and the flow of the narrative and um, where our reading fits into that chapter and what God is saying to us through Mark chapter six. I did have a couple of slides to do that, but um, let's start off with this, where at the moment, um, Jesus, within our narrative, Jesus is going to tell the disciple to go to Bethsaida, which is on the right top, of the screen there beside her, but the the disciples uh, end up in Gennesaret, and the disciples of Jesus end up in Gennesaret, which is on the other side of that. All right, so how does all, all of this fit in? Well, Mark chapter six begins with the narrative of Jesus in his hometown, and how the people in the town took offense at him and rejected him. They did not recognize him for who he truly was. Following that, Jesus sends out the twelve disciples in twos, and they do great work surrounding around the surrounding villages. While this is happening, John the Baptist is beheaded, and the news of it spread. After the disciples return from their outreach, Jesus tries to take them to a quiet place to rest and hear about all the things that's been happening and what, all the amazing things that they've done. But the people around them recognize them and start to follow them. And this is where the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 takes place. And it comes to our reading uh, for today. But following the reading, we read, we read that those in Gennesaret Right? recognized Jesus and brought their sick to him. And all those who were brought to him were healed in miraculous ways. Now, one thing I want to start off with is that, and, and it is an important thing to note, is that the miracle of Jesus are eschatological in nature. Right? It's eschatological in nature. It reveals something about the kingdom of God, the coming kingdom of God. Okay, we need to have that in the back of our minds. So in Mark chapter 6, we begin with the chapter where the, the hometown people, where Jesus was, they didn't recognize him. And then in the end of Mark chapter 6, there's these people in Gennesaret. As Jesus arrives on the boat, they recognize him. Now, Mark book ends the chapter with people who do not recognize Jesus and know who Jesus is and he finishes off with people not even in their hometown people recognizing who Jesus is and immediately bringing their sick to them so what is mark saying by book ending with these two contrasting narrative in chapter 6 Well, our Bible reading for today is from Mark chapter 6, verse 45 to 52. So, here we go. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they, did not, they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. So what is Mark saying to us through this miracle of Jesus walking on the sea? And what does it reveal about the kingdom of God? And I think it reveals the three states of the kingdom of God. Firstly, the kingdom lost. Then the kingdom at hand and lastly, the kingdom restored. The kingdom lost, the kingdom at hand, and lastly, the kingdom restored. And through this, Mark is revealing to us not only about the, the kingdom of God, but also the king of that kingdom, right? revealing who Jesus is. So the first state of this narrative reveals about the kingdom of God that the kingdom of God is lost, and it reveals <clears throat> the lost and the consequences from it. And we're told, immediately after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus made his disciples to get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. Now he did this because they, the people wanted to make Jesus king. After the feeding of the 5,000, They were excited. The people really wanted to force uh, Jesus into kingship. And there was a stirring and maybe an uprising to place Jesus as king by force. And Jesus had to put a stop to this because this was not the will of the Father. And the people and the disciples had not understood, truly understood the true nature of the coming Messiah. Maybe the disciples were part of it or not. But what we, And we don't know that. But what we do know is that the language used here describes Jesus really forcing his disciples into the boat and maybe he himself actually pushed them out into the sea. He then disperses the crowd and then he goes up to the mountainside and prays. In light of what's happened, Jesus spends the time with his father he probably prayed for the situation maybe for the people maybe for his disciples maybe for himself but he spent time with his father and from that vantage point he sees the disciples if we were to bring matthew mark and john who has this flow of the narrative that i gave at the beginning We know that at this point the disciples were a fair distance from shore separated from their master disciples the disciples undergo an ordeal fighting against the waves and and the storm that is brewing this storm does not endanger their lives as in the earlier account of mark in chapter 4 but they do find themselves stuck in the middle of the sea fighting against the wind And uh, after many, many hours of strenuous rowing, they're depleted, they're tired. And some of us may be able to relate to this in our own lives. Sometimes we face these storms in our lives, and it is a struggle, the hardships that keeps on coming and coming, and it is hard going we might think that the storm has cleared, but even before we can take a breath, take a breather, another one hits, and another one comes, and another one comes. If you've ever been out surfing in a stormy sea, it's so hard getting out. And if you're learning to surf, do not try. You ducked out under a wave, The next one comes and you get pushed back further you paddle out you get hit by the wave after wave after wave and our life can be like that at sometimes it just keeps on coming you know the day adam and eve disobeyed god being deceived by satan and we know that sin entered creation and the beauty and the security of dwelling with god was lost and since that faithful day, humanity had been in one storm after another. And these storms not only come when we are disobedient to God, but it also comes when we are obedient to God. And we, I'm not talking about just the physical illnesses, but even the, even the I guess, the decisions that we need to make in our lives, I would consider that a storm as well. You might be faced with a big decision that that will change the course of your life. I would consider that as a storm as well. Remember that it was Jesus who put the disciples out to sea. The disciples were out at sea because they actually obeyed Jesus. They got in the boat, and they were sent out. They were told to go, and they did. Now they find themselves in in the middle of of the sea in another storm. You know, storms will come into our lives. Jesus himself said that we will have trouble in the world. Even when we are obedient to God, storms may come. For the world that we live in is fallen, Sin and evil have broken the world. And no matter how hard we may try, and no matter how a life, a good and peaceful life that we may want to live and we try to live, the storms will come because the kingdom is lost. But let's remember this, that there is always one who sees us in the storm, who always comes to us, Not only that, but but we are actually told in the storms, we are actually told to glory in our sufferings, in our hardships, in our pains. In Romans 5, it says, not only so, but we also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. As God came to Adam and Eve into that garden, Jesus came into this well. Now we have the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, who dwells in us, in the storm with us. The Holy Spirit builds us up, and he also brings us hope. Are you in a storm? Are you in a storm, or are you about to face a storm? I want to encourage you to read Romans 5, and be encouraged, be encouraged. And may the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, for the storms will come in our lives. In the kingdom lost, the storms will come. But God comes to us in that storm. All right, Which leads to my second point. In this narrative, it reveals us the kingdom at hand. All right? Now, we live in the now and the not yet. So the narrative says shortly before dawn he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them but when they saw him walking on the lake they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and they were terrified. Now Jesus sees the disciples and begins to walk out to them. However, the disciples are not expecting Jesus to come to them especially through the storm. And on the surface... We can look at this part of the passage and say that Jesus will come to us in the storm of our lives, that he is there in the storm with us, and that we shouldn't be like the disciples but expect Jesus to be there, Jesus to show up in our storm. And even though we might not see him, and it might not be the way, in a way that we might expect for him to show up, he is there, keeping an eye out for us, and he will come to us. And this is so true. This is all so true. But let's not just simply stop there. Let's delve a little deeper and ask the question, what does his presence mean to us? What does it mean to us in the storm? And how can we be encouraged by it, but also grow in it? And what does it reveal about the kingdom at hand to have Jesus with us in the storm. Well, interestingly or oddly, whichever way you see it, Mark writes that Jesus was about to pass by them. And all the commenters say, I don't think Jesus wanted to get to beside them before the disciples, right? So what does that mean? Why did Jesus want to pass by or why is Mark using that phrase pass by them? And this is what I think Mark is trying to say. Well, what I, what I and Dane Ortland think. And I wonder if it resonates with you. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, Mark alludes to the Old Testament to reveal the identity of Jesus Christ. Right? He won't specifically say exact verses out of the Old Testament, but he alludes to the Old Testament by using phrases like this. To bring out the true identity of Jesus Christ. True nature of who he is. And this narrative is no exception. Now remember that Mark began this chapter with those closest to him not recognizing who he was. They only knew him as a carpenter's son. So what is Mark leading us to as he reveals who Jesus is? Well Mark is saying that the kingdom of God is at hand in the person of jesus that jesus is god and his presence brings many attributes but his five attributes within this context of this narrative that the presence of jesus the attributes only god can bring and brings into the storms of our lives and the kingdom at hand so the first kingdom Firstly, the kingdom at hand reveals the glory of God. It reveals the glory of God. We see in Exodus 33, it was beautiful that we've done the Exodus story because once they've crossed over, they've sung their song and they're about to go into the land. Moses in chapter 3 asked God to show me your glory. And God says, no, you can't see me. You'll die. But this is what I'll do. So God puts Moses in a cleft of a rock and he covers Moses with his hand and he passes by. The glory of God passes by. What is Mark saying? This Jesus is God. He is the glory of God. Secondly, the kingdom at hand reveals the awe and wonder of God. In the book of Job, Job talks about the awe and wonder of God who treads on the waves of the sea, for it is only God who can do that. I encourage you to check those verses out when you get home. And thirdly, through Isaiah, God reveals Himself as the waymaker. As Isaiah says, "Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made a road in the depths of the sea, so that the redeemed might cross over?" It is only God who can tame or control the sea. And fourthly, the kingdom at hand reveals the God of salvation or God of deliverance. And Daniel speaks of a man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river. When the power of the holy people have been finally broken, all these things will be completed. That everyone whose name is found in the book of life will be delivered. And lastly, we see Amos We see in amos the kingdom of ham reveals the god who restores in chapter 7 verse 8 and chapter 8 verse 2 god says that he will no longer pass by his people i will not be my glory will not be with his people but as we read on god promises that he will provide and that he will restore and in chapter 9 Verse 13 to 15, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. What is Mark saying? The kingdom is at hand even in the midst of the storm. Or should we say, more so in the storm, the kingdom of God is at hand in the storm. For Jesus, who is God, is with us. For in the storm, we see the glory of God. We taste the awe and wonder of God. We experience the power of God, and he makes the way, and takes us through the storm. We receive the blessed salvation, the deliverance from the storm, and he doesn't leave us there. He just doesn't leave us there battered and bruised, but he restores, he renews, and he strengthens us, ready for another storm. And only and only God can do that. But you might be saying, but Michael, you don't know what I'm going through, where I've been, or what I'm facing at the moment. And you are absolutely true, and you are absolutely right. I don't. But the one who died for us does. Jesus does. And if we truly believe that our God is all-powerful, is all-knowing, He's ever-present at all times, but most importantly, if he's all-loving, then we can rest assured that he comes to us in our storms and he knows exactly what we are facing and what we are going. And he will take us where we need to go. As he did with the disciples that were thinking that we were heading out to Bethsaida, but they ended up at Gennesaret. Jesus will take us where we need to go. You know, it might not be the way we might expect or in ways we want, but let's not be like the disciples. Let's expect God to be there in in most unexpected ways. Let's expect God to be there in, in our storm in most unexpected ways. And this leads to our last point. When we realize that God is in the storm, the great I am is in there with us, we see the kingdom restored. Okay? Then lastly, this narrative re- re- reveals the kingdom restored. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, "'Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid.'" Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. As Jesus sees and hears the frightened disciples, he reaffirms them, take courage, it is I. But that phrase, it is I, can easily be translated, I am. Take courage, I am. And it is only when the great I am is in the boat that the storm is calmed. So the question is, how will the kingdom lost be restored to its fullness and its completeness? Well, I said earlier in Mark chapter four, Jesus and the disciples faced yet another storm. And at that time, their lives were in danger. And we do have seasoned fishermen within the boat, and they recognize that they're in dire straits. And if we look at this narrative in Mark chapter 4, and the narrative of Jonah in the storm in the Old Testament, remember that Mark uses Old Testament narrative, right? We can see what Mark is alluding to. Both Jesus and Jonah are on a boat. Both boats are overtaken by a storm and their lives are at risk. Both Jesus and Jonah are asleep in the boat during the storm. And in both instances, the sailors come to the one sleeping and say that we are going to perish. Do something about it in both of the narratives. And in both cases, there is a miraculous intervention by God and the sea is calmed. We have almost the identical story except for one difference, one little difference. And here's the difference in that narrative. <clears throat> in the midst of the storm, Jonah says, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quieten down for you. What's he saying? It says, if I die, you will survive. So they throw him overboard and the storm is calmed and the sailors survive. But the narrative in Mark, in chapter 4, with Jesus, it does not end that way. Or does it? Or does it? See, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says, I am the true Jonah. The one greater than Jonah is here, referring to himself. Now, what is he talking about? Well, I think this is what Mark is trying to get at. The Jonah narrative and the one in Mark 4 are not that different at all. And this account in chapter 6 brings a conclusion to what Mark is saying. Jesus calmed the wind and the waves and he saved his disciples sorry Jonah the wind away. but what Jesus is saying is that one day one day I will calm all storms he's going to steal all waves he's going to destroy sin he's going to kill death and death will be no more He is going to wipe away all tears there will be no mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things will pass away and how he's going to steal the storm for us. How is he going to do that? Well, this is how. Well, Jesus faced the ultimate storm for us on the cross. Jesus was thrown into the only storm that could actually sink us, the storm of sin and death. He went into the storm of judgment, and he took on that storm front on, and he didn't shy away from it. He went into the storm and it crushed him and he was hurled into the stormy sea of that cross and paid for it with his life. And when we realize the price paid for us on that ultimate storm of the cross, there is only one response to Jesus and it's recorded in Matthew chapter 14 in the same narrative. And those in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Truly, you are the Son of God. Mark 6 says that the disciples' hearts were hardened. They did not understand who Jesus was. And we know one other person in the Bible didn't know who Jesus was and hardened his heart. Pharaoh did not know God. And ask the question, who is the Lord, that I should obey him? Let's not harden our hearts with a a misunderstanding of who Jesus is, but rather see the Son of God and worship him even in the midst of the storm. And though we may go through storms in our lives, we can have confidence that we will not be consumed because the price has already been paid the ultimate storm, the price has already been paid by Jesus because he faced the storm and we have a foretaste of what is to come. And upon his return, the kingdom will be restored. So to conclude and before we partake in communion, let us be reminded that we live in a fallen world where there will be storms, And God comes to us in these storms, and it may not be the way that we expect or the way we want, but we will see his glory. We will taste the awe and wonder of him, and in his unfathomable power, he makes a way through the storm. We will receive the blessed salvation or the deliverance from the storm, and as he restores and renews and strengthens us we will experience his goodness and his love for us. For Jesus faced the ultimate storm on our behalf and gave his life that we may have eternal life when the kingdom of God is restored, a new heaven, a new earth in its glory upon his return. So as we come to this table, the bread and the wine, is a symbol of the body broken and the blood shed by Jesus facing that ultimate storm for us. So, if you, as you were coming in, if you have not received the communion emblems, emblems, little cups, uh, if you want to raise your hand, I'm sure our lovely ushers will bring them to you. So we are reminded that our Lord Jesus, on the night that he was hurled into the ultimate storm, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink from this cup, we are proclaiming that Jesus faced the ultimate storm for us. That he was held into the sea for us. And though we may go through storms in our lives today, we will not be overcome by it because we know that his love and his care for us will be there in the storm, no matter what storm looks like on the outside, may we have inner peace with eternal hope. Let's take the bread and let me pray uh, before drinking together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that in your grace, your son faced the ultimate storm for us. And it is in his death, burial, and resurrection, the ultimate storm has been silenced. Help us, Lord, whatever storm we are in or about to face, or facing, help us to see you on that stormy sea to silence the storm, to make a way for us. And in and through our storm, Lord, build us up. Encourage us with eternal hope. Lord, there are so many of our, your children, hurting, and you know exactly who they are, where they're at, what they're going through. And I pray that your loving kindness will be upon them, that you will bless them, that you will keep them, that you will encourage them, that you will bring peace and comfort. May they see you standing on top of the waves. May they see your glory. May they see your power. And even though the storm is raging on the outside, I ask that you will grant them peace, knowing that you are the one who faced that ultimate storm for us, that we may have peace. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.